Denver 8 TV, your city, your source. Citizen Oversight Board. We're pleased to be here at the Barnum Recreation Center at 360 Hooker uh, Street. And I am Mary Davis, and I chair the Citizen Oversight Board. And would like to introduce you to our other board members who are here. To my far left is Pastor Paul Burleson. Next to uh, Reverend Burleson is Roger Sherman. On the far right, is Cisco Gallardo. Next to him is Mark Brown. Rabbi Stephen Foster is uh, next to him. And so, as you can see, there are others at our table, and we're we're pleased to have uh, two gentlemen who will be making um, a presentation. Um, the uh, Civil Service Commission Executive Director, Mr. Earl Peterson, is at the uh, next table here, so is um, Mr. Jess V. Hill, who is the Deputy Director of Public Safety. We um, also have staff from the uh, Office of Independent Monitor. And so uh, standing at the back is Gia Iriardo, uh, Irlando, thank you for smiling, Gia, when I messed your name up. Um, and right next to me is Nick Mitchell. And we introduced him last because I want to make a presentation to Nick that he's not aware he's getting tonight. <laughs> Earlier in the, the, well, during the summer, the COB decided that we really needed to recognize the outstanding work that the Office of Independent Monitor has been doing um, over the, the past year or so. And so we have a resolution that we will present to, to Nick. Um, would read it to you so you can see what we said about the work that he's done and his staff. Recognizing resolution, recognizing achievements in independent civilian oversight of Denver Safety Department. Whereas since January 1, 2012, the Office of Independent Monitor staff worked on 3,361 case investigations, making recommendations to the Internal Affairs Bureau to ensure they were thorough and complete. Whereas in the same time period, the staff made recommendations on 552 cases, moving through the disciplinary process to make sure the Denver Police Department and the Denver Sheriff Department truly worked to promote accountability. The staff also worked to clear the names of dozens of officers who had been unfairly accused of misconduct. Whereas 
to make the complaint and commendation process more accessible to Spanish-speaking communities, the OIM published a bilingual brochure that includes information about the office as well as a complaint form written in both English and Spanish. Whereas, from January 2013 through the first half of 2015, OIM staff held and attended 250 presentations in the community. Whereas, in 2015, the OIM launched Bridging the Gap, Cops and Kids, an outreach program that brings youth and police officers together in trainings to promote mutual understanding and respect and to improve trust in public safety personnel. The program will be, will be administered to 450 of Denver's youth in 2015 and 2016. And whereas the OIM's mediation program had a higher rate of police community mediations than almost any other city in the U.S. Since 2012, the OIM has facilitated 155 mediations between citizens and police officers. In 2014, 96% of community members and 89% of participating officers reported feeling satisfied with the mediation process. Now, therefore, be it resolved, the Citizen Oversight Board formally recognizes the Office of Independent Monitor and its staff for achievements improving independent citizen oversight of safety departments in the city and county of Denver. The Secretary of the COB is directed to send a copy of this resolution to the OIM, the mayor, auditor and city council. And this is dated August of uh, this year. And we didn't have a chance until now to publicly show our appreciation to the OIM staff. So Nick. a lot to me and to uh, the entire staff. I know we'll be you know, incredibly touched and, and appreciative of this gesture. You know, a lot of hard work uh, from the staff and a lot of uh, good partnerships uh, in the community uh, and with the departments you know, make the work that we've done possible. So I you know, thank you so much for your, uh, your support and your, um, your work with us and we, we, uh, we just really appreciate this gesture. So thank you. this time, I will, um, as I do at each meeting, talk about the purpose, the constraints, and the goals of the uh, Citizen Oversight Board. In 2004, the city ordinance was created, that created the Citizen Oversight Board, also uh, created the responsibilities, uh, three responsibilities of the board. First one is to assess the effectiveness of the monitor, and we do that on, uh, on an ongoing basis, but annually, formally. Um, to issue policy recommendations concerning discipline, use of force, 
rules, hiring, training, and the community relations of Denver Police Sheriff and certain fire department personnel, and to consider issues of concern to the community, stay informed regarding the complaint process, and to make recommendations concerning specific cases reflected in complaint. This board does not have command responsibilities with respect to law enforcement department or uh, personnel. We carry out our role in an advisory capacity and we have frequent uh, meetings, actually we meet at least twice a month with the OIM staff with Nick as a person who is always there um, to assist us with that. We, um, in these meetings we also have the opportunity to uh, monitor confidential internal investigations and to make suggestions for improving department performance. And from time to time, we offer or issue policy suggestions on matters of concern. And as I mentioned earlier, we meet at least twice monthly. We meet the first and third Friday mornings on the 12th floor of the web uh, building. In addition to meeting with OIM staff, we meet with the executive director of safety, the chief of police, and the sheriff at least quarterly. And on an as-needed basis with other members of the law enforcement um, department. These meetings are especially helpful to us in staying abreast of what's going on um, within the safety department and allow us to give feedback to these individuals as to um, issues of concerns or suggestions. The meetings are public, except when we go into executive uh, session to um, discuss specific uh, cases. And so um, from time to time, we have members of the public who come to, to those meetings, and uh, you're always welcome. And so that... Um, is the overview that I want to make sure we do each time. We have a special presentation tonight. Um, we have Mr. Earl Peterson. Before we do that, I understand we have um, the chairperson of the Civil Service Commission who moved from the front to the back. <laughs> Mr. Neil Berlin is president of the Civil Service Commission. And so um, I'm sure you will hear some things that uh, are not new to you tonight because we have a presentation. <laughs> we have a presentation by Mr. Earl Peterson, who is the executive director of the Civil Service Commission. And from time to time, we get inquiries about why do they do what they do and how do they determine um, when to sustain uh, a, decision, a disciplinary decision and when to not. Um, in addition, next to Mr. Peterson is Mr. Jess Vigil, who is the Deputy Director of the Department of Safety, who will talk about the, the disciplinary matrix and the um, authority that the director, Executive Director of Safety has related to uh, disciplinary matters. And so, um, gentlemen, you're on. Uh -huh. First, I want to thank the Civil Oversight Board for the invitation to present 
to the disciplinary appeals process that we utilize in the Civil Service Commission and also the opportunity to present to the public the process that we utilize. Um, I've been with the Commission for 15 years and there's been an evolution through this process. Uh, for one thing, this is really a small part of what the Civil Service Commission does. Uh, our major tasks are the promotional processes for both police and fire as well as the academy preparation for police and fire. I've got staff of nine people plus 22 background investigators. So the critical part of any employment process is getting good people through the process initially and hopefully they'll be good police officers and firefighters throughout their career. Unfortunately, <clears throat> that's not always the case. And that's why we have a process in place with the Civil Service Commission that's mandated by the city charter. And we're responsible for that, uh, for that process. Both police and firefighters have community property interest rights somewhat the same as you may see in collective bargaining where they have union representation. If there's a determination, they'll go to federal arbitration and mediation and call in federal mediator to hear disciplinary processes or concerns. The commission gets involved actually when the executive director for the Department of Safety issues uh, a very detailed order of discipline that um, results in fine days and or suspensions up to termination. And through that process, an officer or firefighter can appeal to the Civil Service Commission, uh, their discipline. Initially, what occurs is we have uh, a pool of independent hearing officers, and I do mean independent. They are vetted through the, the Board of Commissioners, Commissioner Berlin being one of those commissioners. We vet them through a very uh, deep uh, standards as far as what we expect from hearing officers. And once we get that list, then we present that list to both the Executive Director of the Department of Safety and the union representation and they can check off people they feel that they feel would be appropriate or not appropriate to service hearing officers. When that case, when that is, that process is completed, again, then we have a, a contract of about three years that we have these hearing officers that hear these cases. The cases are presented to the hearing officer. Uh, one of the major changes that occurred two and a half years ago under the auspices of then manager safety, uh, former Justice uh, Alex Martinez, uh, we made some major revisions into the commission uh, hearings process and that being uh, it used to be called a de novo hearing and what de novo means from a legal standpoint is just try anew. We don't do that anymore. Um, it's an administrative review process. Through this change, uh, which is very significant, the burden is now placed on the officer or firefighter to prove his or her innocence relative to the discipline that's imposed. It used to be that it was under the uh, direction or the, so to speak, we grill the executive director of safety or manager safety in the past as far as what the case was about, why, why did this occur, and we'd hear the whole case over again. Um, again, this was a major change in the process and I believe a positive change which my office supported as well as the commissioners as we made this major significant change to the disciplinary appeals process. If you look at the sheriff's department, they still are under a de novo process. The Sheriff's Department is not under the Civil Service Commission. So that was one significant change uh, in, in the hearings process. So basically what happens is both parties submit briefs as to their position to the hearing officer. The hearing officer can allow for a hearing or just work off the briefs and make a decision. Let's assume that there's gonna be a hearing, which most of the time is the case. They will hear the evidence, evidentiary facts, the case will be presented before the hearing officer. The both, both parties present their points of views, their perspectives, their, um, their facts, their findings. And from there, the hearing officer will make a determination to either uphold, modify, 
reverse the executive director's order of discipline. Um, another significant change regarding that, and it's happened within the last two months, uh, we had a, a case where the commissioners, the board actually upheld the hearing officer's decision when it came to reinstatement of an officer that went to the district court on appeal by the executive director of Department of Safety and the courts basically remanded it back to the commissioners. And what we now have in place is while the hearing officer via charter, the charter is very specific uh, to this, uh, that we're bound by the, by the evidentiary facts, the hearing, the facts that are presented in hearing. However, we've got some latitude because there may be facts from the perspective of the hearing officer, but are the evidentiary facts, are, are we legally bound by those? And we're not. So what we have now is uh, a higher level of uh, fact-finding that the commissioners can evaluate when they look at the case. Um, I know some people in the community get upset when they see the media and they say, well, the, hearing, the commissioners, the hearing officer, have reinstated officers. Well, sometimes they are reinstated for good reason. Other times they're reinstated for the wrong reason. And that's why we have another layer within this process, and it's the Board of Commissioners. Um, either party, if they don't like the hearing officer's decision, can appeal that to the Board of Commissioners. The commissioners will then can either look at the documentation. They don't rehear the, retry the case or rehear the administrative process. They can either review the paperwork, the documents that are very lengthy and detailed, or they can also have an oral argument, which normally they'll allow 15 minutes for both parties to present some facts that may go beyond what was presented in hearing. At that, at that juncture, the commissioners will go back with our legal counsel, evaluate <coughs> the situation, and make their determination. Um, if either parties do not like the commissioner's determination, then it can go on to district court, and from the district court up to the Colorado Supreme Court. Um, again, I mentioned a case uh, that happened a couple months ago, which was actually remanded back to us from the Colorado District Court saying, we got it wrong. Um, initially, I will tell you, we, we felt that there was, we were bound by the charter as finding evidentiary facts. And again, the courts have said, yes, but no, meaning you do have some latitude. So that was a significant change when you look at what's occurred in our disciplinary process as it's evolved considerably over the last three years. Um, so there's where we, that's where we're at right now with our process. Um, there's a detailed analysis of how the process works, and I don't want to go through this because it tells you how the appeals are processed, <laughs> the timelines, but I think the community really wants to know why we have this, and we have this process because, again, police officers and firefighters have legal rights to this. They have a, a right to due process. Uh, but th again, the big significant change is this is not a legal proceeding. This is an administrative process. And right now, uh, with the next 30 days, we're gonna be um, posting our job posting for RFPs for people that want to become hearing officers. They have to be legally licensed attorneys, practicing attorneys, have a current license, and they have to have administrative law regarding HR and other factors. But we are opening that process up, and I welcome anyone that's interested to contact my office directly at 720-913-3351. The critical part of any process is you want a fair process. We're not here to... Uh, as I've said before, we're not here to protect bad cops and we're not here to punish good cops, but we want to make sure the discipline is administered fairly. And I know that's the same. Uh, I know Jess Hill, Deputy Director Jess Hill, feels the same way. Uh, but I do believe that 
these changes have been extremely positive relating to the accountability of police officers and firefighters is how they conduct themselves in the course of business, uh, not to mention all the other things that are occurring with body cameras and, and other uh, uh, changes in the display process, which really go hand in hand. Part of what we did, actually the disciplinary matrix, which has been around for probably about seven years now, uh, we actually supported that as well, which was a significant change to where we are in these other phases of, of the disciplinary process because this defined at least some levels of accountability that we didn't have in the past, which made it very difficult for the hearing officers and the commissioners to get their thumb on, okay, how was this discipline administered or where did it come from? So there's, I will tell you from Al Cabe to Justice Martinez to the independent monitor uh, to Executive Director O'Malley, this evolution has been a positive evolution and I can assure you that and I know you believe this, the majority of cops and, and firefighters want to do a good job on the job, and they don't want to represent, have the department represented by people that are, are not effective or smearing the organization as a whole. And I know some of you in this organization are, are aware of what's happened through this process in the media, as well as in, in the audience, know how we've evolved through this process. Very proud of what we've done, and this is where we are today. So hopefully I've kind of given you a, a snippet or a snapshot of what we're doing here. That the COB has had. How do the hearing officers get selected, and what are the terms? If you could just tell us about that. Um, the hearing officers are selected again through the standards that we have in place for um, the selection process, and those are actually being modified as we speak. We've we've made changes to that. We're opening up so we can bring some other individuals into the process because we have gone from a legal a legal perspective into a administrative review process, but there is a, um, an application process to start. And then they have to meet the standards that the commissioners review, their resumes, their applications to see if they would be viable candidates. That list is compiled, and from there, the executive director, Department of Safety, and, a, and an attorney from the city, as well as the P Police Protective Association and the local 858 from the fire department will have a representative interview or review those resumes and they'll make a determination who they feel is appropriate. And they can check off a third and a third of the individuals, but there is a selection process that is uh, very uh, comprehensive. Three years. Three years. Three years. Three years. Up to th it's three years and it's, it is totally at will. So I would tell you if the commissioners are not um, satisfied with the results and it doesn't mean we're trying to politicize or influence the decision, but certainly uh, if we feel that decisions are not handled appropriately from a legal perspective as well as an administrative perspective, and we can cancel those, uh, those relationships. The hearing officer may not always, again, uphold the termination, but I can assure you, and it's, and it's not a reflection on the officers, um, it's a reflection of the, of the facts that they determine, and I would say 90% uh, of them have been terminated. The one that I just mentioned was, was not terminated by the commission, that was, I would call the 10%, and that person now has been terminated. 
because of the, co the court ruling and the ability for the commission to reassess uh, the findings of facts. So terminations um, don't bode well for police officers when, when it goes through a process. And again, when I talk about the, you know, if, if a hearing officer rules in, in, in for or against an officer, say it's a termination it's, and it's for reinstatement, um, Knowing Commissioner Berlin, President Berlin, and the board, um, and I read these decisions, sometimes when you see those decisions, it actually helps you when you finalize your decision. And if your decision is to say, no, the hearing officer's wrong, we're going to terminate, um, I think it's pretty easy to tell why they come up with those decisions and their outcomes. So it is a good process that we have in place. It doesn't always uh, reach the final culmination that some people may like initially, but certainly if the officer was terminated by the hearing officer, that your officer is also gonna to appeal to the, the Board of Commissioners, the, my bosses. So termination's a pretty heavy hand and both sides are gonna are gonna play it to the end. Okay, so you're saying 90% you sustained? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, sir. Trevor, I have a question. I have a quick question and that is, you have the hearing officers and you have the commission. So you have uh, a whole set of uh, requirements for hearing officers Tell us a little bit about the commissioners. How are they appointed? Who appoints them? What's the, what's the criterion? Um, they have to be, um, they're appointed by mayor and council, two by mayor, two by council, one joint appointee. Uh, we provide uh, to both the mayor and council some of the requisite skills that we, we want. One, one certainly is we want to always have a, uh, a commissioner who's an attorney serving on our board. And then the other aspect is somebody that's, that's been actively involved in the community. It could certainly be a community, someone in this room today that's concerned about uh, the health, welfare, and safety of, of the citizens. They want to serve as a commissioner. Uh, it can also be, as Commissioner Berlin is a, a former city manager, highly qualified, knows public safety. So <clears throat> it really comes down to the mayor and council, what they're looking for within these commissioners. But from our perspective, uh, we want people that are actively engaged with the community, uh, that listen to the community, that hear what they have to say, and make sure that those messages are being heard to my, at my office level as well as my staff, and then we uh, proceed with our policies and procedures to handle. Their terms are two years. And they can be re- They can be reappointed. Thank you. Um, I guess it would be the mayor, as most councils, I mean, the appointees, there's a, there's a listing out there of open openings. Right now, we actually have a, 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 an opening on the board. Um, uh, one of our commissioners, uh, based on her work schedule as an academia, it was just too much going on, and so we're, uh, we're actively seeking, uh, through the mayor's office, another commissioner. And then I have another commissioner that uh, has conveyed that uh, she's served many a term, and she's gonna step down, so we'll have another opening by year's end. Thank you. And how many do you have? Uh, five, sir. Five. And the commissioners really are, every, every commissioner I've worked with has, done, has, has, been, has been great. You know, they really care about what they're doing in this, on this, on the, in the, within the community. Uh, Commissioner Berlin has got a, I mean, as former city manager, you couldn't ask for higher credentials relating to uh, his perspective of what things should be growing, going on in public safety. And uh, he definitely helps me steer the ship as far as keeping us on the straight path. 
uh, to what we do as an agency. Yes. So when we have public comments and questions, you'll be sure. able to respond. Okay. Mr. Vigil. Yes. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, my name is Jess Vigil. Uh, I am Deputy Director of the Department of Safety. Before I uh, make my mm -hmm. comments and remarks, I wanted to recognize someone who I believe is very instrumental in the work that we do um, to, to hold people accountable in, in both the sheriff and the uh, Police Department. Uh, Rick Stubbs, who is one of the city attorneys from the appointment section, has been very instrumental in helping us advance um, an interpretation, I believe the correct one, of the um, department's use of force policy. And uh, we've made some tremendous progress and in inroads in that regard. Um, through his advocacy, we have um, gotten the commission on the civil service side, the CSA board, um, uh, which deals with uh, Sheriff's Department discipline, to acknowledge and accept that Denver has a use of force policy that is more restrictive uh, than most other departments, than the, the, uh, the standard that um, was enunciated uh, and used a lot by departments in a case called Graham versus Connor, where the standard was established to be, uh, was, was said to be one that was uh, reasonable and appropriate. We have interpreted, I say we, the uh, executive director's office, through the assistance of the Office of the Independent Monitor, have interpreted the use of force policy for both departments uh, to say that um, only that force that is reasonable and necessary, uh, which is a, a more restrictive standard than objective reasonableness, can be used in the performance of law enforcement duties and responsibilities. And Rick has been very instrumental in that regard and I wanted to recognize him for his work. Um, I came to the uh, Department of Safety in April of 2012. Uh, I had served as a district judge, um, and county judge and municipal judge for uh, about 27 years before I was recruited to this position by uh, the then uh, manager of safety, uh, Justice Alex Martinez, um, he had been uh, recruited to that position by Mayor Hancock, uh, who had also hired and re recruited and hired Chief White to come uh, to work in Denver to uh, perform, among other duties, uh, fixing a system that was broken as far as discipline was concerned. Uh, it was broken because um, decisions were taking an unusually long period of time uh, to reach resolution. Uh, when I came to work um, in April of 2012, um, I had a backlog of about 100 cases. Many of them were older than two years. That, that is from the date the complaint was filed and hadn't been resolved yet. The problem was that the system um, involved command, what we call command review. His internal affairs would do both the investigation and the analysis and determine whether um, uh, rule violations should be sustained or upheld or not. Those um, were internal affairs concluded um, involved rule violations that should be sustained were sent to the command or, or to the district station where the subject officer was working out of and it would start the command review. It was that 
officer supervisor would investigate, would read the file, and would make recommendations, and at the same time juggling other law enforcement duties and responsibilities, and eventually the case would reach the chief's office, and you'd have frequently a lot of conflicting recommendations. One would say sustain, another would say don't sustain, and someone would say less discipline or more discipline. And so that by the time the, it, it got to my office, uh, a lot of time had lapsed and there were all these conflicting recommendations. Uh, if discipline were sustained, the orders were written and they weren't written uh, in much detail. They were very um, summary in nature and they would adopt the, the, the chief's recommendation uh, or not, and, and if discipline was imposed, the officer was appealing, and uh, it would go to the Civil Service Commission hearing level or stage, and it was a de novo hearing. That is, as if no decision had ever been rendered. And what was happening in many cases is that the, uh, and, and you can't blame the advocates for the officers because they were just doing their jobs, is the manager would become the person who was on trial, so to speak, and the manager, him or her, would be challenged and uh, time after time with you, well, you're not a law enforcement um, official, you've never had law enforcement experience, and here you have all these uh, command officers with vast experience. Um, um, their opinions are more weighty than yours, or their decisions are more weighty than yours. So it was, it was, it was uh, a difficult situation. I remember one of the first meetings I had with um, uh, the, with Justice Martinez and, and one of the leaders of the local unions, um, you know, was, uh, we were in, uh, we were told that a lot of a lot of disciplinary decisions were being appealed, and the reason was because of the system. You know, that it was de novo, and that more times than not they would prevail on appeal. So it was a system that needed to be uh, fixed. And one of the ways it was fixed is we, um, we collapsed command review and we created a, an office called the Conduct Review Office. Um, and um, Internal Affairs was directed to do only investigations. Their job was not to uh, make uh, determinations of whether rules had been violated. They, get, they gathered the facts only. The Conduct Review Office would do the analysis and make findings of fact um, and, and determine whether rules were violated or not, and if so, um, uh, they would make recommendations accordingly. One of the things that we sought to do, and, and this required a, a culture change because there was a lot of thought in the departments, in both departments, that you had to be law enforcement in order to be able to, to decide or determine whether uh, rules had been violated or not. Um, and it, it was a, a huge paradigm shift because what we were able to do is, is persuade the chief and other command uh, staff members in the police department that civilians could do that job. That yes, you needed law enforcement folks to do the investigations, but to, to do the analysis and determine whether rules had been violated, that that was something that uh, uh, civilians could do. And so, in uh, um, in the police department, what we did was we recruited lawyers, some lawyers, and um, continued with police uh, uh, command uh, staff doing the review. And so right now, today, there are uh, th uh, three civilians in the conduct review office, uh, which is led by Commander Batista, who do the uh, review of the investigations, 
They work, they, they review recommendations of the Office of Independent Monitor, and then they make determinations of whether or not rules have been violated, and if so, what the penalty recommendations should be. Um, my office is charged by, um, has a responsibility under the charter to make uh, disciplinary determinations on the police side in everything except where the penalty is going to be an oral or written reprimand. What's unique about the, the system in Denver is that the chief of police, who is charged with the responsibility of overseeing the police department, only has authority to impose discipline which involves a, a, a reprimand, oral or written. And that really is minor rule infractions. Everything else comes to my office in the form of a recommendation. And under the charter, my office has to either approve, disapprove, or modify the chief's recommendations. On the sheriff's side, the charter has given the executive director all of the disciplinary authority. However, historically, my office has delegated uh, just uh, to the sheriff the responsibility for doing oral and written reprimands. Everything else comes to my office in the form of recommendations. Um, I have, uh, in handouts that I made available out in the back, um, sets out the process in both departments because the Sheriff's Department disciplinary process was modeled after the DPD model or process. It sets out how a complaint and when a complaint is initiated, what the various stages of review are. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time going over that. I think it's fairly self-explanatory. Um, but um, on, the, on the police side, the discipline and uh, uh, the review of cases by reviewers and decision makers and hearing officers in the Civil Service Commission are guided by the matrix or the disciplinary code. Um, when an appeal, when, when I make a decision, a disciplinary decision, I have to apply the matrix. <coughs> and the matrix, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, um, is, and I've also made available uh, uh, examples of what's in the matrix. Uh, a penalty table, and then definitions of what constitute uh, conduct categories. There are A, the least serious rule violation to the most serious, which is an F. And there are uh, rules, and, and, and each of the pages will set out some of the rules that fall within those conduct categories. Uh, and then the penalty table tells you what the discipline is going to be for the rule violation. The goal when the uh, matrix was adopted was to make, uh, try to make discipline consistent and uniform um, so that uh, officers would have notice of what was expected of them and what would happen if rules were violated. Um, so it serves a lot of purposes. And um, the, the concept of progressive discipline, if you've heard that, is something that's really embedded in the, uh, the matrix and the disciplinary code. Um, I, on the sheriff's side, there's a, even as I speak, committees are working, uh, commi co uh, committees co-chaired by uh, uh, Nick Mitchell and Al LaCabe are working on some aspects of restructuring or reform in the sheriff's department with regard to the, uh, the matrix and also the use of force policy. Um, but um, the charts that I've distributed to show what the processes are, they're very similar in both departments. Uh, as I said, the sheriff's department an attempt, we made an attempt to model uh, that process uh, uh, w with what was happening in, on the police side because it was a very um, effective process. Um, on the police side, what has happened with the, with, with the, the, the changes 
or that discipline is rendered more timely. I mean, I, I think Internal Affairs, and Nick can speak to this, but I think Internal Affairs has set a, uh, a standard of uh, 30 days to complete an investigation. Now, sometimes uh, cases take longer, sometimes they're done in a shorter period of time, but um, once an investigation is done and then it goes to conduct review, and conduct review moves very quickly on, on uh, looking at the uh, investigation or the results of the investigation, generally two weeks, two to three weeks before they are, are uh, able to make a recommendation. And then the chief uh, conducts a meeting where um, various individuals are in attendance, the independent monitor's there, I'm there representing my office, the subject officer, supervisor is there, uh, various command staff and the chief. And the chief decides at that meeting whether or not to accept the recommendation made by the uh, uh, conduct review office. And then pre-disciplinary meetings are set and then it comes to my office for a decision. And under the charter, you have 15 days to render a decision. And uh, if discipline is imposed, then the officer can appeal under the process that Earl, Mr. Peterson has described. On the, um, when it goes to hearing, the hearing officer and the commission, as I said before, are bound by the matrix. They have to apply the matrix. And the question is, um, was the uh, order of discipline clearly erroneous? And, um, you know, there have been some challenges in the process, and it's, as anything new, it, it evolves, and the process is evolving and improving uh, as cases are heard and decided. Uh, uh, one of the issues that um, I think uh, makes, presents a lot of challenges is by charter, you know, the Civil Service Commission, which really takes credit or the blame whenever decisions are rendered that pe folks are unhappy with, they, they don't really have uh, much authority to select hearing officers. They're, they're bound by essentially uh, a pool that is left over after the unions and my office make challenges, preemptory, like, much like picking a jury. Um, and so in order to change that process, it would require a charter change. There's arguments on both sides for keeping the system and for reforming it, and I'm not going to advocate one, um, one, one process over another. Suffice it to say that I think there are challenges and there's opportunities there to make some, uh, to improve the process. The, on, the, on the sheriff's side, it's a whole different dynamic. The CSA, Career Service Authority, uh, they have rules that govern um, employee discipline. And we have had decisions um, from the, the Career Service Authority that say basically, we're not bound to follow the, um, the matrix. Um, you know, we have sought, undertaken, my office, uh, um, Independent Monitor's Office has sought to make some changes in that regard with the help of the city attorney. And, and those changes are being made, but it's a slow process. We've had some recent decisions that have said, you know, we're bound by our own rules, uh, you know, even though we, when we impose discipline, we do the analysis, we use the matrix uh, to determine whether rules were violated and then what the penalty should be. CSA is a different uh, situation altogether. The other challenge on the civil service side is just as it used to be on the uh, police side, civil service commission side, those hearings are de novo. It's as if no decision had been made. Uh, and, it, and, you know, we've got um, advocates and, you know, and, and again, they're doing their job, uh, they're required to do that, who conduct uh, discovery as if these were federal cases. I mean, uh, every email that's written, every pleading that's, every 
document that you may have is requested and it's, it's a lengthy process. I mean, I, I, as I said, I was a judge in district court matters, civil and criminal that were very complex, very, uh, uh, very involved. And I, I mean, I, I rarely ever saw the, um, the kind of discovery uh, efforts that are made in these kinds of hearings. And I mean, that's an area that presents some challenges and opportunities for, for change. Uh, the, um, uh, you know, I, I know I've, I've, I've spoken a long time, but I want to say that, you know, I think we've come a long way. There's a lot of room for improvement. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as we've made these changes, uh, we've seen, um, you know, that we, we, we're perhaps, you know, we, we um, uh, may have been misguided in, in making some of those changes. At other times, we've seen opportunities um, for growth as well. And I know there were a couple of things that I wanted to uh, talk about. Oh, some of the other challenges in, in, uh, that we've seen in the, uh, on, the civil, uh, on the career service side is very frequently when we go to hearing in these cases, the, the, the advocates for the deputies who are disciplined will, will constantly question uh, our credentials in terms of whether we're qualified to, uh, to make decisions on whether use of force policies were violated. I mean, they spend an, an inordinate amount of time uh, questioning the fact that uh, uh, neither Shannon, who is uh, uh, a, a co-worker of mine who handles sheriff's discipline, uh, they question us about our lack of law enforcement experience. How many arrests have you made? How many um, cell extractions have you, have you done? Of course, the answer is none, you know, because, I mean, we're civilians. We, um, I don't have law enforcement training. I get grilled all the time about how I've never been to the academy and have never taken this class or that class. And hearing officers allowed that despite objections from the lawyers representing the department. Uh, finally, we get a, a decision from the CSA that says, you know, this is nonsense. You've got to stop that because by charter, uh, the, cit the citizens have decided that civilians should make these decisions. And so, um, hopefully, you know, uh, that practice will, uh, will no longer continue. I think that uh, those are the comments. Um, I wanted to be brief and, and leave some opportunity for questions if you had any. Board members, any, any questions? Yes. Um, I, I suppose that um, my, my question is, uh, is maybe, maybe a bit naive, but why is there a necessity to have both a career service authority and a civil service authority? It seems to me that, that it's confusing to citizens to have these two agencies that, that oversee the discipline of sheriffs and, and, um, and, and it's done differently. So tell me the rationale that says there should be two. Why could we not figure out a way um, to, to make them into one um, unified kind of disciplinary um, authority? You know, that's, that's um, a very good question, Rabbi, and, and one that, uh, you know, is, is being discussed. I, I think the, um, uh, it would require charter changes, um, and there's been some discussion about moving 
the Sheriff's Department under the Civil Service Commission, and maybe you can speak more to that, or Rick uh, Stubbs, who has been involved in some of that, some of those discussions. Uh, we're not at a point where there, anything is going to be done about that, but I, you know, it's, it was a charter that um, it would require charter changes. And you're right. I mean, it's it it's confusing. It's confusing to to the public. It's confusing to law enforcement. You know, the sheriff's department frequently they say, well, why is it done that way over there, and why do we have to have different rules over here? And it, it's uh, it's cumbersome, and it's not really uh, workable. I, I think that I mean I I think it goes without saying that if that uh, if you're engaged in very important law enforcement work, uh, that you should be held to standards uh, that that pertain to law enforcement work because after all, you know they're in, they, in the public trust. They're performing very important work, and so their role is far different from someone who works in parks and recreation. Yet they're they're governed by the same CSA rules. And the same hearing officers make those disciplinary and, decisions. And, and, to, and to further, uh, my further question is, what um, what is the role of the unions? In are they different uh, for the commission and for the career service authority? Are they the same? Is it a different union? I think that's where 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 citizens are really confused by. All, I mean, I'm confused, and and I'm I'm a citizen, but. But at least I have some knowledge about what's going on, and I'm confused. Yeah. There are three different unions. There are two Only three. For yeah. two commissions, but three unions. That's good. Police, fire, and sheriff, and across the sheriff's end, there's the FTCA. There's a different pension program, which which comp convolutes things. But I, answering your question, I was on one of the subcommittees, and one of the strong recommendations was for the sheriffs to go under. From my perspective, I gave a ten-point plan that they should come under us, because we do all the promotional. We, have, we do detailed background investigations. We have a board of commissioners that are involved with every um, process of, of the selection process and vetting out applicants. But we've already, we're already two and a half years into the process as far as doing away from de novo. So I think we've been very progressive in what we have done. Um, so um, while I've told people I, I personally don't need to take on the sheriffs, professionally I will do that if that's what it comes down to. There are charter changes. One of the big charter changes that I'm a proponent of is the fact that we should treat the sheriffs, we should give them, we have what we call eligible registers for hiring. If you want to be a police officer, you can, you can be put on an eligible register as a citizen. As a cadet, we have cadets that get preference in hiring. Laterals from other departments and reserves. And yet we don't have a, 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 an eligible register for sheriffs. There's no progression, there's no a line of progression for those sheriffs to come in. I will tell you, we've heard, We've hired some exceptional sheriffs that have come into the police department. They bring skill sets and abilities because they've been in confined spaces. They've had to deal with people face-to-face, 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 24-7 on the job, and they've, been, and they've been great. So those are some changes that have to occur. Um, you know, as far as you know, discipline, you know, uh, Deputy Director Viel and I spoke this morning about this a little bit, the fact that maybe, or yesterday, about the fact that maybe there's an opportunity down the road that we should just have hearing officers hear all these cases. But, it's, but it cannot be de novo. We can't, that is not working. It does not work. Uh, part of the problem, and I, when I said the 90% that goes back to when we made these changes, I will tell you from coming from private industry and seeing what's going on, I first came in, this doesn't make sense. I mean, because we have people that are multitude, the union was very good, in all, dis, in all due respect to the union, they're very good about saying, why is the sergeant offering this discipline 
the lieutenant, the commander, there was various levels of discipline. So if you're gonna go into a de novo, which is a, a hearing, a, a, a legal aspect of law, you're saying, well, Earl says three days, and the manager safety executive director says termination, come on. I mean, it leaves a lot to be desired. So we don't see that anymore. I mean, there's some variations between Chief White and the executive director, uh, but by and large, they, they talk things through. And we don't, and while they will may administratively hear what the lower command says, they're not bound by that, which is, which is appropriate. I mean, it's very hard, I think, for at times for people that are in a command position or a sergeant to always issue the toughest discipline or take the, the toughest stance that they should on their fellow officers. Not all the time, but I'm sure it's, it's difficult. So taking that out of the equation has definitely improved the process. As far as the turnaround time, it's critical. I mean, you can't have cases out there for a year or two and somebody's still working on the job. It makes absolutely no sense. So the timelines that Chief White and Justice Martinez and now Director O'Malley are putting in place have been um, phenomenal. That, that is a phenomenal change that's occurred from Chief White and Director O'Malley. And then our, we're at the back end and you know, we've made those modifications. Timelines aren't always perfect with us, just as Jess has suggested about some of the IAB issues. Sometimes we have to have extensions of times and things of that nature, but we have uh, stayed, stayed the course to get these things through the process. And again, um, it's an administrative review. Uh, I will tell you, we do have some, I will say one problem I do still have, and it goes on both sides, these hearings. We also limited the hearings. Um, three and a half years ago before we did these changes we had a, a, a demotion in the department it went on for two weeks I said this is insane so now we've limited to one to three days they can extend for terminations or a combined hearing to up to five days so we've limited that um, quote due process they're still getting due process but we just don't need to hear the story 20 times over from different witnesses I mean it's either it, it's kind of like the old thing did you do it or didn't you do it and if you didn't do it Prove, prove that you didn't do it. Because here's the order of discipline that says, here's what you did, here's the investigative findings, and you're gonna be held accountable and you're guilty. You are guilty until you prove yourself innocent with the officers before it was the other way around, where the manager was guilty or executive director until you can prove that the officer was guilty. So the burden has changed, and it's a very, very significant change. And I'll tell you, um, while we were challenged in the court multiple times on this, uh, I still believe the officers and firefighters are getting their due process rights. They're being heard, but I will tell you in the past they were overheard, and that's not what we want. We're not looking for technicalities to keep people on the job that shouldn't be on the job. In the same token, we want to make sure we're fair uh, and impartial when we administer discipline or we issue our decisions. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Any other questions from the board? And so at this point, we will um, move to public comments and, and questions, and we, we, we will ask you to come to the, to the mic, state who you are, and um, we ask you to keep your minutes to three minutes or less. Okay, thanks. My name is Angelina de la Torre, Dr. Angelina de la Torre. I was in the criminal justice department for 19 years at Metro teaching criminology and Chicano studies. And I have a question about misconduct 
of officers, excessive force. Have you ever reversed a decision made by their supervisor in this hearing process? What is your power to change, to reverse a decision that has been made and the guy is still working on the job? And he may have had five different incidents of misconduct, but has never been held accountable. Well, the, um, as I said, under the charter, my office has um, the uh, ultimate responsibility for deciding whether um, someone should be disciplined for inappropriate use of force or for any other rule violation. And um, under the new disciplinary process, the, the only ones that make recommendations about whether inappropriate force was used or not is Commander Batista, who heads the Conduct Review Office, and Chief White. Um, and so they, under the charter, they can only make recommendations. They could say, we recommend that you find that inappropriate use of force um, was used. And then my office makes the dis final decision about whether it happened or uh, whether inappropriate force was used. If discipline is imposed, then the officer gets to appeal that to a hearing officer under the, uh, uh, under the auspices of the Civil Service Commission. And what happens there is it becomes uh, a review of a decision made uh, with the officer having the burden of showing that the discipline imposed was clearly erroneous. It's at that level where it gets reversed. If, it gets, if it's going to get reversed, it gets reversed there. And then uh, my office has an opportunity to appeal to the Civil Service Commission, and we do. And then a decision is made there, and as Mr. Peterson was saying, in many cases, the Civil Service Commission will reverse the hearing officer and reinstate the termination. I, I mean, I hope that answered your question. So you can go to the microphone, please. Uh, you can reverse a decision made by their supervisor that they did not use excessive force if they come before you and are reviewed for excessive force. If, if the chief makes a recommendation uh, to sustain discipline, we, we, we can and do have authority to say, no, we disagree with you. Um, that has not happened. Let them right. off the hook. That has not happened in my office as, I, as far as I can ever? recall. I, I can't say ever, but as, during the time that I have been there under the new process, I don't believe that has happened. So somebody can be, use excessive force and if their supervisor or White agrees that it's okay, then you cannot reverse that. Um, no, I can't. I mean, our office can if we believe that inappropriate force was used. In fact, um, um, on many occasions, the, the Office of Independent Monitor will ask us to review determinations made by the chief where the chief has said no discipline should be imposed. I mean, we haven't always done uh, reverse that, but we there is... Um, uh, an opportunity to review that and look at it. Never happened. Well, is that what you're telling me? I think never happened goes back prior to a lot of these changes. That I would say, in, in I'm going to go six plus years ago. Before actually, before Alec okay, Cape. Six years ago. Before so the Matrix. Yeah, I would say there there probably are situations where officers' excessive force was probably 
the situation should have been under this day and age and way the disciplinary matrix is, there should have been discipline imposed. Right. And it probably wasn't. But right. now there's a defined process because I think things may have been, and I want to be careful I say this, okay. I think in the past the accountability wasn't to the level that it is today, locally and nationally, okay, on, on police officers. On a local le level, we're way ahead of the national curve on this and because And if you of have this. a video? The video is even better. That can help make the decision. Sure can. Okay, and so, hey, Lowe's, and, and that's So who appeals it then to you? The, the officer. If they don't like the discipline that's imposed, okay. the officer appeals it to the Civil Service Commission hearing officer. The hearing officer hears the case and has to determine if the discipline was appropriate. What if he's not disciplined at all? Can the public bring the case to you? You can file a citizen's complaint and then go from there. So let me, let me uh, jump in here, Nan. Uh, I mean, I think you're raising a very good question. Um, <clears throat> the appellate process that's, that they're talking about here relates only to officers who have been disciplined. There's no corresponding appeals process for a citizen. A citizen has a right to file a complaint uh, through my office uh, and we'll work to make sure it's appropriately investigated. We'll do our best to make sure that it's appropriately handled uh, and make recommendations throughout the process uh, with, with that goal in mind. But there's no, uh, there's no corresponding appeal for a citizen whose complaint is denied. There's no commission that hears uh, those complaints. Of course, you can- Do uh, we have to go to federal court then? Theoretically, you can come to this board as well, which, which hears citizen this complaints and works on issues related to uh, improving accountability in, in the process. Because accountability is, without accountability, how can we trust police? If we know they're not gonna be disciplined anyway. Okay, thank you. Um, my name is Mark Cohen. Um, a couple of things. Um, I remember when we changed the rules, so it was no longer a de novo hearing, um, which was a change I supported. But what I hear is the hearing officers don't always act as if it's just an administrative review. And some of these hearings turn into de novo hearings. And I, I hope you can address that. Um, but another issue, um, and this may involve charter change, but uh, one of the concerns that people have is about the length of time that the appeal process takes. People constantly hear about officers who were disciplined two or three years ago and they're still going through an appeals process. And Obviously, officers are entitled to due process and to appeal to the courts, but one way to shorten that, I would think, would be to get rid of the hearing officers. I'm not sure what function they serve because appeal to the full commission has become basically automatic. Obviously, if the officer is not happy, he's gonna to appeal to the full commission. The city is going to appeal because they know if they don't, then people like those here tonight are going to raise hell about it. So I would suggest that you look at a charter change, if that's what's involved, to at least shorten the process that much by getting rid of the hearing officers. Do you want me to address that? 
that and my first comment. Okay. Um, as far as the de novo process, I believe both the union and I'll say the city attorney, they want to bring everything, they want to be litigious, okay? And, and the hearing officers let them both had their day in court, so to speak. Um, that's got to stop. And I know Rick Stubbs is here. I've talked to uh, Deputy Director Vigil about this. When we get the new hearing officers on board, we're going to be very insistent upon that these are streamlined further, okay? I think there's an evolution going on. There's been a, a school of doing things for a number of years. And while we've shortened it down because we've limited the timelines that they can have these hearings, which has been effective, um, we still have this litigious process where they want to tit for tat, both sides. And I've sat in some of those hearings, and um, I am frustrated by it. Okay, so Mark, rela relating to that, that is right on my radar. Uh, uh, City Attorney Robert Wolf and I just spoke about this again the other day in the selection process. He works with us, and I said, we're going to, in the training, we're going to say, this is what has to be done. And it's going to go from both sides, and we're going to expect the hearing officers to take command of the issue and get to the point, get to the facts. Um, as far as the, the comment you just made, Aurora does that and it doesn't work. Okay, Aurora goes to the Civil Service Commission hearing their, their board of commissioners, and they've overturned at the time a number of times Chief Oates, okay, and they weren't happy with that. I said earlier, while, the, while they may both, can, they can both appeal the hearing officer decision, I think those decisions itself lend lend some, some, some foundation for the commissioners who are not all attorneys to look at those decisions and say, okay, was it, was it, there's times that the, the hearing officer may be totally right, okay? And we've had those decisions where, you know, Director Vigil has, been over, has not been upheld. And there's been, and on minor infractions, he's not been upheld. There's other times where he has, we've said, no, you're wrong, hearing officer. But the basis for is if you can see a document and they've, and they've gone through this litigious process, it gives us, quite frankly, a venue to go through and pick that apart and say what's right and what's wrong. So it's not going to um, circumvent a lot of time. But again, remember, this is a due process that the officers have to have. And if we start taking more away, because I tell you right now, going from de novo, away from de novo to an administrative review was, I mean, that was earth-shattering. Okay, going to that point. And again, every time we, and I will tell you for at least the first year and a half, President Berlin, if not two, they would always bring in the de novo, you know, we want to have this. And they go before the hearing officer and say, this is, should be a de novo process. And we'd say, no, that's not the rule. The rule is this. And then they went into the district court and tried to present this. And they weren't, it wasn't upheld. So we finally have gone through that, but it's been an evolution. So um, I hear what you're saying. I think if we can, can, if we do the processes that we're doing relative to shortening and making sure it's an administrative review, plus the evolution that the department's gone through with the timeliness, I believe the hearing officers still have an important value, value in this process. We just have to get our hands around it more. And then let's see what happens. We have, another, you know, next year's another contract, new people. Mark, if things aren't working, I heard what you had to say, and we're gonna have to reevaluate. Yes, yes. So if, if you get hearing officers that are regularly strained from an administrative review, has the, has the commission removed anyone? Yes. Okay. Yes, we have. Good. 
Maybe you should do it more often. Um, I think you got to be careful on that too. Hello, my name is Joaquin Kix de la Torre McNeil, and I'm here. I have a few questions or brief question uh, regarding Officer Lara and Officer Trout and their recent uh, the decision by Mitch Morrissey, the DA, to not press charges. I'm wondering what is the next step in the disciplinary process for these two officers, and what can we do as citizens to uh, try to hold their feet to the fire for what has happened in the recent past? Thank you. Well, um, I can answer that. I, uh, the, um, although the, the district attorney has made a decision not to prosecute, he's applied a standard, a different standard than we apply when we review whether policy was violated or not. Uh, the, as you know, the district attorney uses a beyond a reasonable doubt standard, which is the highest legal standard. We use preponderance of the evidence. Is it more likely than not that policy was violated? Um, those two cases, I believe, are still uh, in administrative review. review. Um, and um, the Office of the Independent Monitor uh, follows those and uh, monitors those reviews. Uh, and, if a, uh, and once that investigation is complete, then it goes to the Use of Force Board. Um, and then if there's a policy violation, then it goes through the, um, the disciplinary process. So I, I can't really tell you more than that other than they're still under review right now. What you can do as a citizen, as um, uh, Nick Mitchell indicated, you can, you can make your concerns known to this board. Um, you can also, uh, may I, uh, if you have a complaint yourself or information, you could provide that to the Internal Affairs Unit who would take that information. Um, essentially, that's all I re can really tell you about that. Thank you for your question, though. Can I just say one thing about that? Um, I've been on this board since the beginning, and there have been many, many times that people have come and asked for, I, I don't want to say the word review because that means that's official, but they have asked us to look into the process. Sometimes it's still under review so that we have no alternatives. But I can tell you this, there has never been a time to the best of my knowledge, if somebody brought a case that they wanted some information about and they wanted to make sure that it was going along the process, I can never remember a time that this board did not talk about it at our biweekly meetings and that we didn't go to the monitor, whether it's Nick or whether it was Rick, and ask them to please keep it um, keep it on, on top and, and to make sure that, that it is being reviewed. I can never remember a time that that wasn't done. So, I mean, I appreciate, I don't, I don't know these particular cases, but I appreciate the fact that, that you do, and if you went to us or you talked to, you talked to, to Nick afterwards, it will, be, it will be dealt with as best we can. Thank you. Miguel Lopez of Baker Neighborhood. The system is still broken. And um, regarding these other issues that we're already on top of with of Paul Castaway, uh, the city is supposed to be imposing crisis intervention training to the police department. And I understand that this hasn't been uh, implemented. 
And even if it is implemented, the 40 hours doesn't give everybody the experience that people deal with and react to uh, different situations differently. So an officer pulling up to a situation knowing that sh this should have been a mental health case has not been trained and in fact his position and tactic was very military style. These things are still yet to be addressed in America abroad with most of the employment of Denver police officers are former officers that experience PTSD that should not be on the streets. Uh, I want to talk about uh, uh, the interest of Commander Montoya being in internal affairs. I've had a relationship within District 3. I think that's a good move. I look forward to having a, a relationship with him. Uh, at the same time, Nicholas, have you contacted the mother of Paul Castaway or the family? This is supposed to be a standard routine, and we are here approximately what length of time from that? And uh, have you contacted her? Okay, that's what I need to know. Thank you. Um, the mediation process doesn't work. The police have an endless appellate process. That what's, must be the greatest thing of America for them in a KKK society. Their police are interrogating the victims as they were the suspects. And, the, and uh, we talk about these new moonlighting cams uh, on the cops, but we need to have them on every cop. Why just moonlighting cops? Is there a statistic behind that, that you know, they have to supersede some cops and not all cops? Um, and you know, Mitch Morrissey has a 16 year of not prosecuting any bad cop. That's like saying nobody in America has bad credit. You're trying to tell me that there's not been one criminal cop in Denver, Colorado, when in Baltimore is considered the most perpetrating police authority in the country. And per capita, if you don't know, that Denver is the second most perpetrating police. There is something fundamentally wrong here. The Department of Injustice needs to be involved, but I don't really see it actively, as I barely see actively the Civil Service Commission that continues with this patronizing board, except for exclusive members in here. But it continues to be just lip service. Pardon me. Um, we need to push forward on these contact cards through the state legislation on racial profiling. Uh, one of my boyfriends who's Japanese Chicano is listed as black. Uh, and so I just want you guys to answer up to some of these questions on this continued system that's failing and the mental health disorders with, you know, the continued genocide in Native Americans here in America since the police department is based on colonialism. The pouring of the blood on the memorial is just as equal to that of pouring of blood on the Christopher Columbus Memorial. And I praise those Americans who practice their freedom of speech. The Democratic Party needs to hold Mitch Morrissey accountable because he's not true Democrat and that's why Chicanos are tired of the two-headed monster that drinks out of the same trough. Mitch Morrissey is no Democrat, he's a Vatocrat. The public. 
community policing. Has there any programs of community policing? Because I was involved in working with community policing and I found it quite inadequate. They really didn't seem to care about the community. They just had the label of community policing. So I was wondering what's happening on the community policing area. Yeah, I can't really speak to that, but I, um, I can assure you that if at the end of the forum, if you give me some contact information, I'll get someone in the department who can, who can speak to that. Because I think that citizens should have input into community policing and be able to review what's happening in the community because otherwise we don't know what's going on. And I came here 25 years ago and they were having public hearings and people were complaining about the internal process they had then. Well, nothing, I mean, you know, you may have changed a few things, but we're still complaining. We're still here. We're still complaining. People are getting shot and hurt, and it's happening. But it seems like your review process is really for the officers, not for the public. So can we do something for the public, for the people that are hurt by this? Those are my questions. Community policing and something for the public. Good evening. <clears throat> My name is Lynn Eaglefeather. I am the mother of Paul Castaway, who Nicholas Mitchell was supposed to get a hold of me, I guess, but didn't. My son was killed on July 12th by Denver Police Department. And we, re we presented these demands to Mayor Hancock on September 19th at Kepner Middle School and have not gotten a response from the mayor. share. Thanks. Mayor of Denver, Mayor uh, Michael Hancock and City of Denver. Protocol developed by mothers, families, and other survivors of police violence for answering the questions during the aftermath of a police-involved murder. We demand funeral costs to be paid by the city for Isabel's son, Joseph Valverde, killed by Denver Police Officer Justin Dodge on July 2nd, 2014. We demand a request for an internal investigation of the Denver Police Department from the U.S. Department of Justice for patterns and practices of excessive force. We demand immediate ending of profiling and harassment of friends and family, friends and family members of those killed. I have cops by my house all the time. We demand individual meetings with mothers and Denver City Mayor and those who are whose the mother chooses to attend such meetings. For District Attorney Denver, Mitch Morrissey. We recall, 
we demand a recall of your recent decisions to exonerate all officers involved in all shootings. We demand the video of Jessica Hernandez's murder be released. We demand to convene a grand jury to investigate internal affairs of the Denver Police Department. For the Denver Police Department, we demand training of the police officers to handling gunshot wound victims in all cases. Paul, Jesse, Ryan, and Joseph wounds were all further aggravated by the officer's negligence. They sat on my son's dying body, two officers, after they shot him three times in the torso, and shot on, sat on his body, and did not let my son, son die with dignity, which I am very angry about. How would you like it if that, they did that to your family member? or your pet. We demand that uh, all officers involved in, homici in homicides be put on suspension and ha withheld pay until a trial is heard. Police are not the judge nor jury, but they act as the executioner. We demand effectively retrain all officers in crisis intervention team, CIT practices, and only pass officers who receive an above proficient certification. Now, if the officer that, was, that killed my son had CIT training, perhaps my son would be alive today. We demand pro to, to provide psychological health assessments and treatment for veterans before they are hired onto the police force. The cop that shot my son just did a tour in Iraq and was on the force for 13 months. His mother worked for the Arapahoe County Mental Health Department, so it seemed that he would have some kind of compassion or somebody in a mental health crisis. We also demand a rescind award given to Justin Dodge for the killing of Joseph Valverde. And um, I also want to say it's an embarrassment to live in Denver to be rated second in the nation in the killings of people by the police department. It's, it's an embarrassment. And you guys should be embarrassed. And these policemen need to be reprimanded. Thank you. Thank you. If there are no other comments, I would ask the board members if you have something um, you w would want to say. So um, I want to thank everyone for. You have to come to the. One more comment. I wrote it. Um, I demand my son's autopsy and his personal effects. I was told that I would never get them, his personal effects, his wallet, 
the chain he had around his neck. So I, I demand the autopsy and the personal effects, and I would appreciate that. If you could look further into this, because CIT training is very important for these officers. Thank you. Chair. My son's still alive. Um, I'm Janet Matson, and I'm protesting down at the plaza um, because two of my two people were arrested for handing out jury nullification papers. Right, seven felony counts, trumped up shit. Right, trumped up. One of these we've been arrested. Um, Eighteen people already. Um, Fourteen attacks by militarized police on like 15 people. They just arrested a kid, 21 years old, um, charged him with um, second degree assault on a peace officer, was in there for five days, five days, scared shitless, and then released on Tuesday. All charges dropped. This shit's gotta stop. <laughs> Uh, just wanted to point out a couple of uh, good and bad. I had a, couple, a bad experience with Sergeant Tafoya. I filed a complaint that was actually uh, accepted. An officer who, while we were setting up during the 420 rally, told us that he wished that people like us would choke and kill ourselves. This videotape was accepted as a valid complaint, and so you looking at these sort of you know behaviors and the, they, they, the, when they talk, officers do wish death upon people. This is evident. He said so himself. But then again, in District 3, where I live, outside of District 6, where this occurred, the trash district of all of the city of county of Denver, I have Sergeant Marr, who showed up to my house where a rent-a-cop gung-ho at a baby shower with baby women and children trying to boot their car, actively loading, and he had to tell them to remove it. So I just want to acknowledge Sergeant Marr of District 3 at that one point in instance. Oh, sorry. I usually reserve myself for that at the end to let other people, so uh, if they want to continue to speak. Oh, Mr. Tom Bell. Uh, Tom Bell. I'm number two with the uh, Denver 420 rally. And uh, in my experience uh, working with the uh, Office of the Independent Monitor, I personally have filed three reports that no one has ever gotten back to me with. The only time I have ever had any sort of hearback from the police department is the instance that uh, Mr. Lopez is uh, speaking about the week before 420, we had a Denver police officer tell us that we should kill ourselves. Um, and the only reason we got a response from the Denver police is because he had to call directly to um, assistant um, police uh, commander. No, we had to call directly to Chief Quinones in order to get an off. We had to call, uh, he had to call uh, Chief Quinones directly in order to get anyone to call us back. 
and we had internal affairs directly take my video. I actually have it recorded on video of a police officer in Denver as we're setting up for the Denver 420 rally to tell us that we should kill ourselves over smoking pot. I don't think that's really proper of a police officer. And uh, I actually still have that recording. Um, but other than actually taking it to the, giving it and transferring it to uh, an officer uh, it, with internal affairs, I heard nothing more than that. So those are my experiences with your office and uh, you know the Denver police in general. Uh, to my attention, uh, you know, we, we contact every complainant who, who contacts us with a complaint at the inception of the case and at the, uh, and at the end of the case. So, but if you want to bring particular examples where, you know, if you feel that that didn't happen, I'm happy to talk with you about them. Again, thank you um, for participating in this open forum. I want to thank Channel 8 for videotaping this for future uh, viewing. And I um, wish you all a good night. Thank you. Ooh.